The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. From the technology of Capital Weekly comes our latest podcast. It's a special version uh, we're delighted to have as our guest today, Brian Kabatek, former president of California of the Consumer Attorneys of California, and John Kabatek, um, still uh, a top spokesman for the National Federation of Independent Businesses, and uh, also another, another uh, a number of other things in his background that are really interesting to us. I think the first thing that caught our interest here is John is a doctrinaire. Maybe that's not fair. As a longtime Republican, Brian, I think, judging on his record here as a litigator, trial attorney, consumer advocate, is a longtime Democrat. And we thought, gee, what are Thanksgiving dinners like with you guys uh, when we're talking about and talking about issues and um, what's up in California, what's going on, the issues of the day? So, uh, greetings. Thank you very much for being here. Hey, our pleasure. Happy to be with you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Before we get any, into anything substantive, I've got to ask. John, uh, and Brian would know this too, but John, you mentioned uh, in, in a bio of your, on your on your site that your mom was the musical director for Ernie Kovacs. Holy cat! Holy cat is right. <laughs> uh, That's funny. My mom, my mom was the musical director for Ernie Kovacs too. What a coincidence! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think your dad also worked in in Hollywood as well in Cresswell. He, wasn't he the guy that made those predictions right. on TV? and Criswell kind of, Predicts? Yes. Criswell Predicts, which I think, Brian, I think it lasted a whole maybe two seasons total. Did it end up going a whole two seasons on ABC? I can't remember. I don't know. It was the golden age of television, Sean. It was the golden age of television. <laughs> Criswell never could have predicted you. Plan 9 from Outer Space opens with Criswell, Criswell Predicts, I think. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I mean, we're very lucky. I think Brian and I both agree that we've we've always had some level of entertainment in our house, either music or comedy. Uh, I think it really stems. You know, our folks met while standing in line at ABC Studios, and the root the story goes basically that they were carrying on so much while they were filling out their applications. The HR director came out and said to both of them, "If you two don't stop carrying on the way you are, I'm going to fire you before I hire you." So. Uh, We've always, I think Brian and I will tell you, there's always been laughter, music, definitely comedy. Uh, and that comes down to sometimes when, when Brian and I are talking politics or, uh, or not. So uh, we, we, we have a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So now you brothers are on opposite sides of the political spectrum. Were your parents both, were they both, uh, were they opposite political spectrum or were they both on the same side? No, absolutely not. I was the black, I am the black sheep, uh, or as I like to refer to the, uh, the white hat. And they were all on the dark side. And so I was sort of, I sort of parted company from everybody else in the family. And uh, that's been the way it's been ever since. And no one agrees with me, but maybe it's just because I'm a contrarian. <laughs> and dad, and I, and I think dad changed the locks immediately when that happened. But uh, you're, you're back in the house, Brian. Back in the house. Uh, Brian, uh, was it a... A logical segue to go from you know an entertainment family uh, g- getting into litigation and going to law school and um, and being a consumer rep so to speak I mean with the well I I wanted to be an actor 
Yeah, I wanted to be an actor. And my goal in life was to, um, to actually be a professional actor. I wanted to be a professional actor. And I was pursuing that un- until I was maybe about 14 years old. So um, my parents both had a very good friend who was uh, a character on the Mayberry RFD show who played Otis the Town Drunk, if you can remember that part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember him very well. <laughs> and uh, I once had dinner with him at my parents' insistence, and he, he did never discourage me from being an actor, but I remember his words to this day. He said, acting's a wonderful profession, but remember, there's going to be lots of times when you're not working, and you're going to need to save your money for those times. And I remember coming away from that dinner thinking, I don't think I like that idea so much. So, but the, but the true answer is that I really did want to be an actor. I wanted to perform. And I, I see being a trial lawyer as sort of the pain end of the acting business. And it was for me, um, but, you know, I see social issues um, uh, in one particular light. And, and the kind of work I do where I'm helping people um, write the wrongs of corporations and fix problems that exist in our society on sometimes on a big scale, sometimes on a small scale um, is sort of a natural fit for me politically. So I just saw myself at a young age, very different than my parents. And uh, I'm older than my brother, although many people think he looks considerably older than me, but I am (laughs) older. So I, I, I deviated early. So there's a connection between acting and performing in the courtroom. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all a play. It's all a show that we're putting on. It's just that we have, you know, we're putting on a very public presentation. We're, we're arguing our case. But at the same time, juries, and more so today than 30 years ago when I started practicing law, really have a high expectation that you're going to put on a show for them, that you're going to put on um, a multimedia presentation. They want to be entertained. Sometimes I look at jurors and I think, Thank God they don't let people wear underwear in the jury box because they'd be like sitting at home in front of their television set. They'd be sitting in underwear watching the trial. You know, they're, they're, they're hungry to be entertained. Do you think um, or have you ever in the past uh, gone up against companies that John represents? You know, he's got a number of clients, but I always associate uh, John with the national with NFIB. And have those companies, have you, have you ever had that kind of a situation where you were battling one of the one of the corporate members of the of the organization John represents. He won't give me the list. He won't give I'm me sorry. his client list. Nope. Sorry. I told him. I said, "Give me your client list. It could be like a target list for me on who I consume." Not <laughs> happening, Brian. Not happening. Not even at Thanksgiving dinner. I'm not bringing it with me. Sorry. You're out of luck, pal. Do you wind up making a lot of enemies? It strikes me that a this is a question to um, to to Brian, but it just strikes me that you you make your living and your occupation is to fight companies in court um does this redound to you does this cause you danger later or problems later or people uh wanting to work you over well you know i'll give you a very serious answer to that and that's that there's been a few times in my career where my toes have curled because um somebody says something for example an insurance company i sued once i was talking to um one of their vice presidents in a uh, and one of their lawyers, and they made it known that they know where I live um, and that they had driven by my house. But for the most part, you, you know, the cases I handle are um, large cases against corporations who are generally used to being sued, and um, 
the first wind I get that a case has no merit, I will get out. So I try to be above the board all the time. Well, I am above the board all the time, but I try to be fair and, and, and really um, equitable when I'm dealing with stuff. For example, right now, I have a number of families who lost loved ones in the um, Boeing 737 MAX disaster. And, oh, yeah. you know, the relationship with the, with the Boeing lawyers and the corporation is professional because they know what the score is, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's like that. Um, but I have had lawyers, there have been, there's a lawyer here in Los Angeles who a few years ago was murdered in front of his house, uh, undoubtedly by a disgruntled opposition. So, you know, there's oh, always wow. that element. Um, but I try not to make, take, make too many enemies. Uh, John, I know um, uh, part of your background includes uh, working for Governors Pete Wilson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And especially, right. I think, for Wilson, one of his big issues was tort reform, which is sort of code language up here for making it harder to sue companies and sue corporations. And uh, does that set up a divide between, uh, between uh, you and Brian? Seems like that would be a pretty... That would be a pretty uh, obvious schism right there, at least philosophically. Well, I think, you know, we, we, like Brian and I like to believe, we were, you know, we were both raised by parents who believed in doing the right thing for the right reasons. You know, I think that one of the things that was very important to our parents is, you know, making sure you stay honest, do it right, stay civil. Uh, and, you know, I think just insofar and so much as, you know, Brian and what I will talk about this, Brian, you know, doesn't want to stand by uh, any bad lawyers. You know, we don't want to be there defending any uh, employers who are knowingly in the wrong of, you know, labor law and violations that would harm their employees. So I think when we have conversations, we do try to talk about some things where uh, there's common ground. I think we were very pleased to find that there was some good bipartisan uh, agreement and support to reform the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act reform, that was hurting a lot of small businesses. I think at the end of the day, we saw a, a law like that when 40 percent of the ADA lawsuits in the country were coming from California, that tells us there's a problem. And a lot of them were frivolous. Um, some of them were probably legit. But I think at the end of the day, there's an issue like that where Brian and I, you know, I think uh, you know, he being a property owner and having understanding of that, that there's things like that issue where you've got, you've got some people out there who I think are doing it for the wrong reasons, not for justice. Uh, and that's where you need to fix the law. I think that's where policy needs to be fixed. It was established uh, with the best intentions. But again, as we see so often in Sacramento, good policy um, is, you know, that road is, is, is paved with, you know, is, is, not, is not the right one sometimes when it comes to people maligning and pretzeling the law. And that's, that's one of the things we're happy to see two sides come together and make some fixes. It's not perfect yet, okay. but it is good. Okay, okay. Let me let me let me comment on this though, because I I think that there's true there's some common ground here, but I see this very differently than John does, which is I see the ADA and issues involving disability rights as a, as a civil right and an important issue. And you know I've continued to be involved in Sacramento. I've testified. I did work even after I was president of the Consumer Attorneys. I worked on this ADA issue. There are some. Um, violations which are not the same as, say, for example, access. Uh, but on the other hand, it is an important issue. And if a business, whether it's a small business or a large business out there, isn't making true access issues, and by that I mean, for example, no ramp to get into a, a restaurant, uh, non-accessible bathrooms. Forget the issue about how high the mirror is. That might be in a different category. 
but just a bathroom where the common decency and dignity of people going into a bathroom, being able to use a bathroom because they're in a wheelchair, um, to me is, is an important and significant civil right. I'm a trustee at uh, Loyola Marymount University. Um, Tony Quello, who's the congressman who wrote the ADA Act in Congress in 1990, is uh, a donor and an alumni. And it is an important issue. So I don't completely agree with John on that. I think that there is some common ground, but to just simply talk about it in the terms of hurting small business isn't fair and doesn't do the law um, the justice that it should do. Yeah, but I think it, 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 to ignore the fact that, Brian, that we have a number of attorneys around the state who are utilizing this, twisting it for their own benefit. No question there, uh, it was established with the best intentions, but we have a number of attorneys who are frankly walking away with a good chunk of the money, not even their plaintiffs getting the, the settlements, even when there are settlements. And at the end of the day, what one person in Sacramento had said, who, who had been shaken down by a rampant uh, a plaintiff's attorney here, was frankly, he left not only uh, a big cost for me when it was all settled and done, but he said, a, and I'll never forget, a crater of fear in my neighborhood here among other small businesses. So unfortunately, I, yeah, we don't agree on this all the time. This is one issue, yes, where um, nobody, nobody disagrees there's opportunity to fix, but it has been manipulated by a number of attorneys around the state for their own not, benefit. Not, not a all, number of attorneys. Not all. No, but, but, no. But it's, a ver- it's a very small number. There's, there's somewhere between 8 and 15 lawyers that do this, and I agree with you. They're despicable, and that um, shaking down um, people and businesses with no permanent fix is awful. And that's one of the fixes True. that I think we tried to work on together, which is if you're going to actually sue somebody, make sure that they fix the problem and that you don't just take 10 grand from them and go away. That would be awful. And that's what they do. I agree. And I think that we're happy. Brian and I both agree, you know, between uh, Senators Steinberg, Senator Bob Dutton at the time, uh, others on both sides of the aisle, they were able to create some right to correct and some fixes to the law. And uh, I think we're both pleased that we've seen some steps in the direction of reform. And I think that is a good thing. Has, has, do you yeah, think the, the, has a landscape changed here with the Newsom administration coming in as opposed to the eight years, the most recent eight years under Brown, as opposed to... Uh, before that, um, Schwarzenegger before that, as opposed to uh, Davis before that. I mean, is is the, legally or communications wise the landscape changed here? Does it is it easier now or harder now, or does it have an impact on what both of you guys do? Well, I, I, this is the trial lawyer speaking. Look, you know, I know Gavin. I've known him before he became lieutenant governor. Um, we're quite pleased. Our organization was able to successfully sponsor eight bills that got signed by the governor this year. We're quite pleased with him uh, in office. Uh, we're pleased with the state of affairs in California as a, a, a trial lawyer who has gone around the country and litigated, litigated cases in other states. Um, we're very fortunate to have a pro-civil justice uh, constitutional officers and legislators um, so the landscape for us is potentially even better with Gavin than it was with Jerry. Um, love Jerry, got along with him great, uh, did a great job appointing judges, but we see even more opportunity with Gavin. I know, uh, John, you want to weigh in on that? 
Yeah, I think you, what we're finding is, well, I would first start out by saying it's probably a bit of a mixed bag at this point, uh, this many months into his administration. I, one thing I think we're very pleased with from the NFIB and from the other small businesses that you know my firm, Cavitech Strategies, represents, a lot of these small business groups and others um, are, are hoping and keeping a close eye on the fact that, you know, um, frankly, unlike Jerry, uh, we see Gavin coming in and having had and having that experience as an entrepreneur, a job creator, somebody who's opened his own stores and has had to deal with uh, inspectors, challenges, regulations, taxes. In fact, he'll often talk about that, that one mop closet that, that was not necessary at his restaurant in, uh, in one of his stores that the inspector said he had to have when he didn't even have, he had a carpeted location, he didn't even need a mop, which was a kind of uh, propelled him to run for, for office and, in the first place. So we're hopeful on that front that he kind of harkens back to understanding and appreciating what small businesses are stressing about these days. At the same time, I think we are given a bit of hesitation and concern when we hear things about, you know, a a proposal such as a potential single-payer universal health care. I don't know that that that, if that is comes to light and that's something that's been um, he's been talking about would actually be helpful. I don't know government this particular government run anything would actually be the right thing and at what cost to small businesses. So things like that, uh, paid parental leave for six months for each parent um, that that comes with a cost so I think what we're hoping is he's gonna we do like the fact that he comes with this background as a small business owner and entrepreneur we just hope that he will remember that um, as he's making his way through these policies and um, it's been a mixed bag so far oh come on John he must be driving you crazy I mean come on just admit it it must be driving you crazy you 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 went to Sacramento in 1990 um, with Pete Wilson and the world in 30 years has completely changed. Yeah, I know. Well, I know. And there is that part of it, Brian. It is true. I think we had a lot more job creators in this state, a lot more small businesses. So that has changed. I mean, you know, Pete Wilson, in, in fairness, he was actually the one who has still had created the only competitiveness plan for California with Peter Ubaroff. Um, and one of those things was actually, look, we... You know, we had we had a, a lot of things here in this state that were more business friendly at that time. So you're right. We we miss that. We miss those days. And yet at the same time, Brian, we do hope, you know, we hope that Gavin Newsom and frankly more in that building, not just one person in the, on the ground floor, but the number of others will actually understand that small businesses are not just frightened. They're fleeing. But yeah, we, we we'll we'll keep yeah, a close you, eye. We'll keep a you close know, you, eye. You know, you you all you all keep saying that they're fleeing, they're fleeing. There's 40 million people in California. What's the unemployment? Is like three percent? I don't know. It's really low. And um, everybody I know, everybody I talk to, my clients, they're employed. They've got jobs. Um, I get it. I'm I'm actually the belief that that there's a lot of people out there that are underpaid, that are undercompensated. There's housing problems in California. But still, they keep coming here, and it's not because of our great traffic. I can assure well, you that. <laughs> I, I tell you, Zick, for labor union employees and, you know, some attorneys out there and a handful of environmental extremists to be the only ones that are employed in this state when we are actually seeing a flee uh, from a number of people, literally members of NFIB who are now packing up their boxes and leaving the state. So that's frustrating to us, and that's not something that that people should turn a blind eye. Hey, John, how do you um, commute a, uh, communicate a message like that? We we hear and we talk to our interns, for example, and their big concern is climate change and global warming, and they're not extreme uh, environmental extremists by any by any uh, you know measure. And there's a lot of support. At least people we talk to, just around and family members, they want some form of universal health care, single payer, some form of that. 
those are really popular. They seem to me to be popular among the public. Uh, how do you communicate a message uh, uh, that opposes that, you know, representing your clients that oppose that as something that people can get behind and believe in, I guess? How do we unite people around an idea such as single-payer health care? Yeah. Is that what you're asking, John? Yeah, because I know you mentioned what, what, that single-payer health care is very expensive and would be very expensive. I mean, the dollars just haven't even been computed. They're so vast. But Absolutely. But most people well, when, you talk to want health care in some form that's better than we have now through the private system. Now, that's, when, at least that's what we hear at our end as a, as a reporter here. Well, when we talk to small business owners, frankly, in particular, and that's why, you know, the NFIB was the lead, lead entity that challenged Obamacare, uh, because our members, when this was passed with the scores, the huge, the, the slew of high taxes, mandates, requirements, uh, and impacts on mom and pop businesses, as well as just general Americans in terms of the costs and the mandates that we're going to have to face, they not only asked us, what are you going to do about it, but what can we do to get in the fight? You know, So we have really felt like when it comes to communicating this issue out to people, look, the, the, the costs that are associated with small businesses and healthcare for the past 35 years in our problems and priorities survey with NFIB, Soaring health care costs for the past 35 years has been the number one concern among small business owners. So is there an opportunity to fix this system? Yes, but is, is actually remedying it, John, with new mandates and taxes? And again, still a lot of skepticism among Americans and Californians that government's actually the entity that should be the one running it. I don't think that's, you know, we, we, we still stand in long lines at the DMV, even with maybe some modest fixes there. Californians are still very dubious that the California government really is the one to fix our hospitals and healthcare system, uh, and at whose cost and at what cost, and that would be on our backs. Now, I suspect Brian has a differing opinion there. Yeah, I'll tell you, first of all, I sue insurance companies for a living. So one of the things I'm always concerned about is making sure the claims get paid. So um, my first concern is that whatever system we come up with, make sure the claims get paid. Let's be honest about one thing about health insurance. Nobody likes health insurance until you need health insurance. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, and I see this a lot, is especially with younger people, they don't think they're ever going to get sick or get injured and need health insurance. So one thing I advocate for is a system where if you're if you're making money and you're employed and you're particularly if you're making say a hundred thousand dollars a year there's no excuse for not having health insurance you're a burden on the system if something happens to, happens to you and there's no excuse for that at all uh, on the other end um we, we i mean we are probably the most advanced country in the world, although I was in Norway this year, they're pretty good over there. And, and for us not to have a system in this country where people have medical care and access to medical care is shameful. Um, so I get it that businesses doesn't like to pay for it. You know, I own a business, I've got 30 or so employees. I used to own a restaurant. We've provided insurance there. We provide insurance here at, 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 for our employees in the firm. And um, it's, it's a fact of life. Um, and the minute that somebody gets injured or sick and they don't have health insurance, their options are death or their options are going on the public dole. And then, you know, the far right sits there and says, well, that's not fair. Our taxes are going 
to take care of people who can't pay for their own their own medical care. Well, yes, because you didn't want insurance. So it's a complicated issue. I want to make sure people are insured, and I want to make sure that people get their claims paid. Do you think there'll be a serious proposal this year in Sacramento, uh, either from the administration or in the legislature, dealing with this issue? There's always been a lot of talk about it, but is this the year something happens? I don't think so. I think, you know, I think this will still, there will still be a buzz about this issue. I think there will clearly potentially be some legislation. It's, candidly, as we look ahead at this year, I'm guessing as we go into 2020, a lot of the discussion I'm, we're kind of hearing is going to be probably still addressing wildfire funding issues and the wildfire mitigation and, uh, and the power outages. So I think utilities will probably take a front seat on it. But I, I think we'll probably end up seeing some of this discussed. Um, and it being an election year, candidly, even as, as though there may be some out there who are very warm to the idea of universal health care, not many, but some, uh, I think many folks really realize it's too much of a political hot issue you know, too radioactive during an election year to get in the middle of that, especially when we're trying to deal with the cleanup from a number of these tragic, uh, terrible fires. I think we just found something we agree on. I think we found <laughs> something we agree on. John, John you mentioned insurers uh, earlier. Um, and what's interesting, I was, I was talking with an insurer just the other day, and he, sa- he said one of the interesting things about the, uh, the question of the wildfires, the liability, the uh, PG&E's liability, um, restitution for victims or compensation for victims is that the trial bar, the consumer attorneys, the insurance industry attorneys, and there was a third stool here. I'm on a third leg on that stool. I'm forgetting, right? We're all on the same side in this in the litigation and the issues, the negotiation involving PG&E. Have you ever been in cases where the, you and the insurers were on the same side of a case? Remember, you're asking somebody who hung out with a town drunk. Just remember that. <laughs> Am I ever on the same side as an insurer in a case? As the insurer in a case? case. It seems improbable, but it apparently happened in cases in in litigation involving PG&E over the settlement that they reached. Sure. Well, I'm... I'm, I'm in the fire cases. I've got um, about 500 families that we represent out of the campfire up in um, Northern California. And I've got um, uh, some aligned interests with the insurers over that. We have a real problem um, with um, uh, underinsurance in the state. We have a real problem with these utilities. Uh, I mean, this whole PG&E thing is a mess and there needs to be a solution. So, you know, I'm not always against the insurers, but um, by the time clients come to me, they're usually pretty unhappy with their insurance company. Uh-huh. Okay. One you, uh, involving PG&E, we actually just posted a story today where we looked at some options, and uh, there have been calls for uh, creating a co-op, a public takeover of PG&E, uh, individual communities buying PG&E's assets and then running municipal utilities. Um, Some really serious proposals. I don't know if they'll go anywhere. Do you have any notion about whether these kinds of proposals may have traction this year? I I don't know. I mean, I think we need to come up with a long-range view of what we're going to do with the PG&E issue um, because everything you just talked about is great and it talks about ownership, but none of it talks about what we do with these old ancient utility lines causing fires that kill people. So um, we've got to address both of those problems at the same time. I think there is going to be a 2020 resolution, at least for past PG&E problems, and maybe that'll lead to some resolution for future PG&E problems. Um, 
going south where uh, where uh, Brian is, do you have issues regarding um, Southern California Edison or I guess further south, Sempra, San Diego Gas and Electric? Are they going through the same kinds of problems we're seeing up here in Northern California? Yeah, but on a smaller scale, I, we've got um, the Woolsey fire. That's the one that burned through Malibu. Uh, we've got a number of cases against uh, Southern California Edison. Recently, Southern California Edison paid uh, about $300 million to municipalities to settle claims. So it looks like they're accepting responsibility for the fire. They will be accepting responsibility for the fire. And when you be, burn people's homes in Malibu, uh, you're talking about a lot of money. Um, so, but there, there's no, there's no, you know, active threat there about them filing bankruptcy. Uh, I'm involved in the gas leak out in Northridge, California. Um, that's still ongoing litigation. Um, no concern there about bankruptcy, but you know, this is a big state with big problems and these utilities are right there with everybody else having to deal with these problems. Do you get involved in, uh, CEQA le- uh, legislation, CEQA regulation? Either John or Brian. I know it's, it's an issue for businesses. I think it's also it's definitely a issue that's been litigated. It's a it's an environmental issue up in Sacramento. It comes up all the time. I haven't heard it lately, but is are there CEQA cases down there you're aware of that we may be seeing come to fruition this year or shortly? Oh God, I stay a million miles away from that stuff. Um, that is complex. Uh, it is a hot potato. It is just. And it seems to go, and John, you may be able to speak to this better than me, but it seems to go in cycles in Sacramento when it becomes a, 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 a pressing issue. Um, so it, it pops up every so often. Maybe sports teams. That's when it seems to come up up here in Sacramento. Yeah, you're probably right. right. It's probably a little more focused on that. I, I would agree with Brian. You know, this is one I don't think we've seen as much of these this this past cycle um, going into this next year, you know, we may see it resurface. We may see very well see this issue resurface as it re- relates to building and rebuilding communities. Um, you know, I know there's some efforts where they've, you know, they've streamlined and they fast tracked some things along the lines of um, CEQA laws and rules. But uh, again, another law that um, like ADA, just, you know, again, not all attorneys, but I think as some that are, you know, it's manipulated by that, as well as environmental groups. At the same time, a law that was well-intentioned and has its place. But I think this next year, Brian and I can also agree on that. I don't think we're going to see a lot this next year unless I think maybe it's related to, you know, rebuilding, uh, restructuring communities. But a lot of it, John, is, is going to be, you know, I think very much wildfire-focused, at least for the first quarter or half of the year. It was, it was and some- that election thing you mentioned. And that little election thing, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's an election year next year. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. It was, how, could John, how could you forget? <laughs> it was kind That's of a hot true. issue during uh, Jerry Brown. You know, he made that comment that got widely reported about he'd never seen a CEQA exemption he didn't like. And he had been a mayor in Oakland and wanted to do developments at some point and was always, to his, in his version, was flummoxed in the courts by, uh, you know, opposition to exempting, to uh, waiving CEQA requirements or doing legislation to do that. And they did that with Sports Day, I think, at least twice down in Southern California. Um, so it was a pretty yeah. hot issue, but, you know, it seems to be off the burner right now, at least what I'm hearing. And, and you know, very few, uh, this is super wonky for you all, but very few published CEQA cases are coming out of the Courts of Appeal or the California Supreme Court in a long time. Ah, okay. The... Um, environmentalists up here now they're we're going through a lot of environmental issues one of them is an agreement sort of a side agreement california made with some auto manufacturers some others don't like it 
and there's a continuing tension about that. Um, I'm wondering, Brian, do you get involved in auto issues, auto emissions? Is that something that you get in, you know, is that part of your practice or you're away from that? Well, I, I get involved in auto defect type cases and auto class action cases for um, mass, mass issues. I was not involved in the Volkswagen debacle, uh, but that's certainly one of the more fascinating ones. And, um, you know, California represents 13, 14% of the United States, but it probably represents 20 plus percent of the auto buyers. Um, judging from my commute in this morning, it may represent more like 50% of the auto buyers in the United States. But it's, uh, um, it, it's certainly an issue that, we, that we're going to continue to see cycling back and forth here, particularly since the president has taken a dim view of everything California does, including what you're talking about with respect to cars. Well, California is sort of a, a leader in this. It, it, the ARB was formed before the uh, US EPA. And Traditionally, people have looked to California for leadership in auto emissions, air quality controls, and I think the Northeast still, industrial Northeast, still looks at California for templates for its regulations and for guidance and what it does. The president wants to stop that and wants to um, weaken California's leadership role in environmental issues, at least in air emissions. I mean, I think it's fair to yeah, I think it's fair to say two things. First of all, that you know, as somebody who grew up in Southern California. I can remember when I couldn't play outside because of the air quality. So California made a huge difference and it proved to the rest of the world that you can change the environment if you want to for the better. Uh, And the other thing is I'm fairly convinced that uh, President Trump would like to shear California off from the rest of the country uh, or build a wall around California. Uh, My only question is what side of that wall would John be on? Yeah. Want to include Nevada in that as well, but but I interrupt. I just was saying I'm not sure what side of the wall John wants to be on. Brian, just let me over the wall to your house on Thanksgiving dinner. That's all I'm asking for. Is that too much to ask next Thursday? We haven't even talked about Thanksgiving yet and what Thanksgiving is like at the Capitec household. I know, I know. There's still so much time for that. What is uh, what, describe the uh, the Cavatech family Thanksgiving? Is there pie throwing? What? Well, I, Brian is always generous and gracious to host it at, at his compound. And every year, That's with that in unfair. mind, because with that in mind, I always bring a, a taster with me just to be safe. But it's good. But it's a wonderful time. And we have a lot of laughs. You know, nobody asks us, nobody asks us the question more than what's Thanksgiving like at the Cabotac household because of our differences in politics. And so I will true. tell you this is that uh, we have great Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a time to be thankful. Um, and, you know, I'm thankful for everything I do. I'm thankful that, um, that Jerry Brown was governor, Gavin Newsom's governor. Uh, I'm thankful that we have a supermajority. Uh, I'm thankful that the trial lawyers actually are listened to in California. And uh, John is thankful that around 3.30 in the afternoon, I start bringing out the vodka, right? <laughs> I am extremely thankful for that, Brian, because I reflect on all the things you're thankful for, and we start sipping. <laughs> and they're waiting till 3.30. That's great. That's good. Absolutely. Well, thank you both very much, John and uh, Brian. Thank you. Uh, really, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun, and we're going to do this again. 
and maybe I think maybe the next show we get an after action report on Thanksgiving and see how that went actually you know yeah an after action report on Thanksgiving and then a, a pre-action report on AB5 and uh, the implementation there because I have a feeling you probably are both on opposite sides of that uh, little issue good idea good idea you betcha now, that would be a great issue you know you know a couple of you know, look coming around the bend I know the the California Consumer Privacy Act which Brian is oh stop talking with. John stop John <laughs> stop but we, uh, we would we would we will have a good time. We're going to be drinking at Brian's for Thanksgiving. It'll be lots of fun. Gobble gobble. <laughs> I can't thank wait. Thank you very much for having us. We yep. appreciate it. Thank very you. Much. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This has been great. A lot of fun. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, you guys. Take care. Thanks. Bye, Brian.